back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. Having had raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons, she's now brought all of her knowledge and brought it back to you so you can now be an expert. So sit back, relax, and the knowledge you'll receive will have you off to the races. Wild Earth Australia is the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at great prices. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code Peak Endurance, that's Peak Endurance, all one word with caps, to get 10% off at checkout. Now, who doesn't like saving money? Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation and you can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run or you can find them on Instagram at health high performance health and high performance are located in Mount Albert Melbourne but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia wide but also around the world so contact them now on their website to find out more Hey, it's Tom here, back with some more thoughts. Uh, today I want to talk a little bit about anxiety um, with the current lockdown. And again, I'm going to talk about it again because it's our current reality at the moment, at least down in Victoria. Um, it brings about a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. And I find with me at least, it kind of sends everything into what feels like chaos. And I seem to lose centre of myself and... I can't focus um, on what is ahead of me and I feel somewhat lost. And I found something that's helped me recently um, is kind of regaining focus and re- you know, rediscovering what's important to me. And I just did this by just simply just getting out a notepad and just writing down you know, my long-term future big goals you know, my small goals and what things are important to me, you know, what values are important to me, who's important to me, and it's these kind of simple, basic things that amongst anxiety and the chaos just seem to get lost. And then we, I, don't, I start to lose myself, and I'm not sure if people are similar, but I feel that's pretty relevant uh, during this time of lockdown. And yeah, I just. If you're feeling like that and you're getting that anxiety, I really recommend you give that a go. And it, you know, I I actually just did it this morning after uh, yesterday. I felt pretty bad and really anxious, and it really helped me. Um, I'm, you know, it's not it wasn't like instant relief, but over time today, things are just getting better, and and I'm starting to regain that focus and that. Uh, with that, my motivation and happiness and the whole lot. And so, I really recommend you give that a go. Um, And anyway, that's just today's thoughts and yeah.
Hello and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Episode 126 is an interview with Kelly McNamara. Kelly is an everyday runner who has had to deal with stage three breast cancer at the same time as dealing with the COVID pandemic, as if that wasn't enough. Kelly comes on today to share her incredible story, to raise awareness about breast cancer and to encourage women to get tested if they even have the slightest concern. And you know, that could go for breast cancer or any issue. I hope you enjoy this episode and find it really informative. And if you do, would you be able to do me a favor and subscribe and write a review on the podcast platform that you're listening on? It truly doesn't take too much time, but it means so much to me. Not only does doing this help to boost the ratings of the show, which is great, but the best thing is it increases its audience reach, meaning more athletes like yourself get to listen to all the great guests that I've had on. And to be honest, it really does make my day reading the reviews, especially during lockdown. Now, just so you know, I only have a couple of coaching places left. If you are planning a race in 2022, now is the time to get your training started. And that really is the case, especially if you have a miler planned. To secure a spot on Team Peak Endurance, email me, Isabel, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to get the ball rolling. I hope you get a lot out of this episode. Kelly and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks Isabel, it's great to be here. Yeah, now I first heard about you through a mutual friend of ours, Jodie Street, and then again through George Dyer, who completed the Great Pain Run to raise funds and awareness for the fight against breast cancer. And George suggested at the time I should interview you as a wonderful example of someone who has and is, and is living the reality of breast cancer. So, but before we get into all those details, can you talk to us about how you got into running? Okay. Um, I've been running for quite a few years. Um, I, I ran a little bit as a child, like did little ass and things, but never was that any good at it. I was okay at it. Like I was one of those people that could come out and do it kind of thing. Like, you know, always got talked into doing the 1500 at high school and I didn't even really know what that was. But, you know, she'll do the 1500, she'll do the 800 and all right <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and then I just, yeah, you know, I actually moved overseas and I was living in, I lived in Canada for a year. Oh, um, I in Canada for yeah. a year too. It's awesome, isn't it? It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, and then I moved to London and when I got to London, I realised that a diet of beer and cheese <laughs> is not great for the waistline. So What a surprise. <laughs> I know. So I started running solely to, to lose weight, to, yeah. in all honesty. Um, yeah. And then I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that, like, just being outside. I, was, I lived in Wimbledon. I used to run on Wimbledon Common um, when I was taking care of an elderly man and his dog. And I used to, you know, run with the dog on there. And, and I really enjoyed it. And then I moved down to um, Devon and I continued running, but more sort of on treadmills. And I was a bit scared to run outside because I didn't really know. And then um, I saw a sign up and it said the Exmouth Half Marathon, 13.1 miles. I mean, being from Australia, I wasn't quite sure how far that was, but I thought it can't be that far. So, <laughs> so I signed up and did it. And I remember I got to the eight mile mark and I saw the sign. I'm like, eight, <laughs> I've still got five to go. And I think I ran it in 1.52 or something. Oh, that's pretty good for your first one. Jeez. It was okay for the first one. I didn't know that at the time. I just was surviving. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
and I think I actually won a the first local home wow. which was I mean I live I'm from Australia but I lived there so so and that so they came over and they gave me a trophy at work and oh, um and then that introduced me to the running club so then I just started running with them and because I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed I think that camaraderie too of doing the half marathon because yeah. just getting through it kind of thing um I was lucky enough over the years, I, I trained more and they got me, I got a position uh, to do the London Marathon. So, which it was quite hard to get into the London Marathon. So that was a really good, a good thing to do. And um, they're still to this day, probably my favourite race. Like I went out hoping to run sort of between 3.15 and 3.30 and I ended up running um, 3.08, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. So it was one of those races where I just felt so good towards the end. Yeah. I was like, and the crowns and the music and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I kept, kept waiting to hit the wall because I'm thinking <laughs> I shouldn't be, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it was, yeah, it was so much fun. And then um, but when I came back out to Australia, I actually changed over. I did the London Marathon when I came back in 2003. So I did London, oh, sorry, sorry, Melbourne. I did London in 2002, Melbourne in 2003. And my aim was to break three in um Melbourne of course but I just missed out I think it was 303 um but then after that I went over to track so I started doing 1500s and 800s and 3k so a big change because and I just loved it especially the 800 so (laughs) yeah yeah painful painful but I just I loved the training the intensity so I was with with Glenn Huntley Athletics Club and um I've been with them yeah 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 been running running with them for a long time and then I um but recently, then I went back over to the ultras, which is how I got to know Jody and that. And also with the track, that's how I got to know George because George competed at Knox, and I competed at Glen Huntley, and we'd see each other, you know, every Saturday on during summer sort of thing. And um, and I'd often train down at Knox and join in with him, his group every now and then, or yeah. or him and I used to be neck and neck in a lot of five k races and things <laughs> like that. So. Well, I think you'd have me covered these days. Um, and then, um, yeah, just over the years, you know, I was always an okay runner. I was never an elite runner. I was never, I think I finished, like, I, you know, I could run in big champs and things like that. But, I, you know, I was never an elite runner. But I just enjoyed the competitiveness of it and the training. And and I went over to Ultras for a little while doing Oxfam. Um, and that, But I found it hard to train for those events to be competitive with three little kids and, um so I sort of yeah so I've recently I've changed back into sort of well my my aim well prior to the cancer and stuff was to get you know get my 5k times down and you know sort of trying to get I mean I don't think I can run sub 20 again but you know just around that 20 minute 21 minute would be great and you know I was on target um before COVID and everything so yeah so I've run everything from 100 meter sprints to the 100k race so and and loved it well most of it I don't I don't particularly love the 5k on the track and I don't particularly um, love the 1500 so yeah. I love the eight and the three for some reason <laughs> I don't know the 1500 is a really hard um distance I think to get right yeah really hard like just to I remember coming back after having my second child and I was doing the Vic Milers um down at Box Hill one night and I could hear Jonesy commentating over the speaker and I went out and I'm thinking geez I'm running well (laughs) 
till about the 600 mark and then it was like quicksand the whole way over again and I could hear him just saying oh Kelly's struggling a bit here in the last lap and, and there's no hiding on the track no hiding on the track no, no. so yes and running's been great for me um because I've met so many wonderful people and as I say it's not always about winning or losing it's about the people you meet along the way Exactly. Now, can you talk to us um, about your diagnosis? Like, how did you get diagnosed? Like, what happened to, to make you query what was going on? And, um, yeah, and just talk us through that. <clears throat> yeah. I, it, look, I had three kids and I breastfed throughout for quite, you know, over 12 months with all of them. Um, and I had a lot of trouble with mastitis during that time. Um, and when I finished breastfeeding, I still had a mass left in my left breast yeah. and it was, you know, and I could still for like for people that have breastfed, I could still, you know, basically express out of it for a long, long time. And my youngest is now eight and probably about four years ago. So he would have been about four, I guess. Yeah. I went to the doctor and I said, look, I'm a bit worried about this. Like it's still there you know, it's, you know, is, is this normal? And she said, look, we're not normally worried about the big ones like that, but I can feel something over here. So we will get you in for a mammogram. So I went in for a mammogram at that stage. So it was two and a half years before my actual diagnosis. Oh. And at that stage, it was all fine. They did the mammogram ultrasound. Um, they did a swab on the discharge. Everything came back okay. Um, there was probably a little bit of a communication breakdown at that point as to how closely it needed to be monitored afterwards. Um, I guess I just read, you know, them saying, you know, we're not worried about the big ones. That's, you know, well, then, well, in about well, November two years ago or three years ago now, well, to November gone, to, oh, yeah, two years ago. So I, I'd been... I'd put on a little bit of weight and I was weight training and I was trying to like lose some weight. And when I did, I, cause this mass was still here and I always had a little lymph node under my arm. Yeah. And when I dropped weight, I could feel it like, and it'd been there forever. Like I'd had it checked out, was all fine. And I dropped a fair bit of like a bit of weight, got back down to sort of, you know, what I, what I liked. And I noticed, oh, my lymph node's back, you know, and that must be, you know, I'm carrying less body fat and everything and that get feeling pretty fit and running some fast times. And, you know, I was running back up sort of 75 Ks a week um, with speed sessions and hit sessions for work and all this. And I was really fit. And I just noticed one day, well, a girlfriend, I told a girlfriend about the lump in my boob and she's a nurse. And she said like, mm, that's not normal. I'd get it checked out. So November, like not last November, but November before, I went and got a referral. Um, of course, then COVID hit and everything, and I didn't go, and I probably should have. Um, and then come April, I noticed my little lymph node had doubled in size. Oh, wow. And I was like, mm, that's a bit odd. But it wasn't sort of in breast tissue. So I went to the doctor like that day or the next day, and, he, and he's like, oh, it's not really in breast tissue, but let's – now I know it's a lymph node. At that stage, we didn't really know what it was. Um, so he so said, let's get a mammogram and everything anyway. So I went in the week after um, at nine o'clock on the Monday morning or Friday, Monday, Monday morning, I think it was. And they called me at one o'clock and said, the doctor wants to see you at three. Oh. So I, I knew things weren't yeah. great. So. When they do that, you, you generally know, don't you? 
you do. And that's one thing I've really learned. If they don't call, that's it's great. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so it turns out there was a five centimetre mass that, that the area that wasn't, was, wasn't a problem was now a problem and a pretty big problem too because it had started to go to lymph nodes and it had, um, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't contained to the breast, which, you know, if I had gone back maybe 12 months earlier, maybe it would have just been contained to the breast and, it, you know, it would have been not as sort of um, serious, so to speak. Yeah. So then it just started the um, whole... And then the next month was terrible. Like that was the scariest month of my life. Um, and, you know, it was just, you know, I'm thinking, how can I be, like, how can I have cancer? Like, you know, I'm I'm running 75Ks a week. I'm doing time trials. I'm doing, you know, I feel perfectly fine. Yeah. But then once I found out I had the cancer, like everything turned into cancer. I'm like, I'd get an itchy head and I'm like, oh, it's metastasized my head. It's like, oh you know sore shoulders I can understand that I can oh, it was yeah. horrific yeah. so then I spent yeah the next month getting scans and tests and turned out it was what they call because another thing I didn't I mean I, you just think breast cancer is breast cancer but there's so many different types of breast cancers and different stages and different treatments and to be thrown into the whole world where you know google is great but not always um so I spent the next month getting my results in and it turned out it was a hormone negative cancer um so um, estrogen and progesterone negative but also a HER2 positive cancer which um isn't great and I was at stage three grade three um because of the size of it and that it had gone to lymph nodes um so yeah and then yeah once again that was a pretty quick process they were like oh we just want you to come in we just got some of your results back so we thought we'd start some treatment now and you're like nah in other words you're saying get in here now because that yeah, thing's right. spreading and it's spreading fast what, what so, does stage three yeah, mean within, what does stage three mean for you so with cancers like you've got straight stage zero which sort of says that there's you know there's something that we don't know what it is we'll watch it stage one um is Stage one or stage, this is what early detection. If you catch a breast cancer at stage one, it's usually just uh, they can either cut it out, they can um, a little bit of chemo, like it's it's a lot. And the survival rate there at stage one breast cancers are like ninety nine point nine percent kind of thing. Like it's you know it's it's not really it hasn't kicked off. Stage 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 four is it's metastasized, it's gone elsewhere, it's in your brain, your liver, your lungs, your, your bones, whatever it is. And with breast cancer, at the, at, unfortunately at the moment, that's not curable. Um, people can live a long time with it and there's treatments to halt the cancer, but it's not, um, it's not, it's not necessarily um, treatable. Sorry, my little ones has come. I'll be back. Ignite those. I'm schooling. Um, yeah. I can't remember in the meeting. Um, and then, um, sorry, that was my husband needs his help. I don't think he's hanging from anything upside down or anything. Um, so then, so I was at, so it was stage four. So people that are at stage four often, 
it's usually caught before that, but sometimes it can be caught at that stage, which then means it's um, so not not curable, um, but people can live a long time with it with the treatments that we've got at the moment. Um, so I was at stage three. So I had pretty much stage three, grade three means that it was a um, an aggressive cancer um, yeah. and moving quickly. So this is if, if I had waited another six months to go and get my scan or to even another month. I could have potentially been at stage four, which, yeah. yeah. So I had to go for all these scans. um, And I remember that morning waiting for my results and it was the anxiety around, well, for me, that day was the scariest because I'm like, I'm waiting for them. Like, hopefully it hasn't spread and it hasn't gone. In my head, I'm thinking, if it's just breast cancer, I can do breast cancer. I can do breast cancer. But I knew if it had gone anywhere else that, you know, that it, I'd have a bigger battle on my hands because, yeah. um, and I remember, and I kept watching at the phone because, as I said, once again, if there's a problem, they call you early yeah. and they didn't call. And I'm thinking, okay, they haven't called yet. They haven't called <laughs> yet. And then she called me and she's like, Kelly, we've got your results back. Um, the, the, your, your scans are all clear. Well, I ran through the house like a maniac, jumping up and down, hugging everyone, yeah. kissing everyone, cheering, carrying on. Um and then she's like, Kelly, yeah, you still have breast cancer. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. I can do that. <laughs> so then that started the journey. And then literally within oh, probably three weeks from diagnosis, I had started chemo. Wow. So, yeah, it was and, um, so, so chemo, how, how was that? Um, do you know what? I was one of the lucky ones. I handled chemo really well. Um I started, you start off with what they call four rounds of um, AC chemo and the red devil, some people, and that's where you lose all your hair, but most of mine's all grown back, my lovely long locks that blow in the wind now. Um, so that, that's pretty strong. Um, but um, I'd read, and I know, I know we're going to get to this later, but about how exercise um can improve chemo's effectiveness and it can improve the outcomes and all this sort of stuff it can improve the side effects it can improve like all so for me I needed to exercise around chemo so and I really think that that's what helped me a lot so the first four rounds were every two weeks um and that I would I was on steroids for a few days around that time so I felt great so I weight trained during those times um but then I'd get the chemo fog afterwards and I'd usually have chemo on the Tuesday and by the Friday I'd be foggy in the head and like just couldn't concentrate and irritable and angry and you know roid rage basically because you are on some pretty heavy steroids um pretty strong steroids um and then I'd come good again and you know I was I was pretty lucky and then at the end of that two months I started um weekly chemo um, with a chemo that's not quite as strong, yeah. um, but it's still nasty, um, but your body can do it weekly. Okay. And because I was young and fit, they could hit me with everything. Um, so I did weekly chemo and every third round, I would have two targeted therapies as well. So I would have a what they call Herceptin and Pergetta, which target my HER2 positive cancer. Yeah. Um, and look, and chemo was... <laughs> I don't want to say great because, you know, it's chemo. It's not great. But it, it to me, it, it was okay. Like I, my body handled it. I, 
it's funny because I, I think running helped so much and training helped so much because I was just like, right, I have to nail every single one of these sessions and I have to, to like, and that's how I broke it down. Like I just didn't want to miss, and I, I would refer to that. I don't want to miss a session. I mean, a chemo, like, because I'd refer to it as a session the whole yeah. time or, and for me, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. Like chemo is not great, but I, there were some days I'd ride my bike to the hospital and back again. So it's 16 Ks um, wow. down to the hospital and 16 Ks back. Um, there's some day there's on my last chemo, which was my 16th chemo. I decided to run the 16 kilometers home because I was like 16 chemo, 16 kilometers. Oh, meant to be. Oh. Yes. And I looked at my splits just the other day, actually, because I'm like, I was actually running faster then than what I am now, 12 months wow. after chemo. Wow. And it, was, it was uphill the whole way. And I stopped and chatted to people. And the only problem is that I'd get blood noses um, yeah. because you have no, like you not only lose your hair on your head, but you lose your hair everywhere. So you don't have that, like the eyebrows or eyelashes or nasal hair or that first line of defense. So your nose is constantly running. So you're constantly blowing your nose and wiping your nose. And so I'd get blood noses a fair bit as well. So I'm running down along the railway lines, bald, Mm. with just blood nose and a backpack. Oh, oh, wow. oh gosh. <laughs> I just oh, no. look like I've been in a fight somewhere at a train station. I'm just like <laughs> running. So look, chemo wasn't great, but that's so gutsy to um to run home after that. Like I can't believe you're clearly very tough. Yeah, and I think for me, um, it was one of those things that the minute I knew that exercise helps that was one thing I could take control of and I could do and you know coming from my background of being a personal trainer and a runner and you know I I was something I could do to to have control because I'm a bit of a control freak too and you know cancer takes all that away from you um so it was and headspace like and we were in the really tough lockdowns in Melbourne as well I was homeschooling three kids it was you know I needed to have that time to be out um just to clear my own head so I could you know come in and tackle homeschooling three primary age kids as well so I mean and that's that's been tough for people you know who aren't going through what you were going through so I can only imagine how tough it was for you um you you spoke about your pace was actually our star than at the moment no you didn't find that from the treatment you like we're just kind of plotting it out um I had to be a little bit careful because some of the treatment affects your heart oh. um and the, and I'm probably still going to have like well chemo itself the chemotoxicity can affect heart function um and then I was on this Herceptin which um has been linked to affecting the heart's output okay. so my heart rate would jump around a lot so you know there'd be some days when my resting heart rate would be 35 and then you know I'd go for a you know a gentle 5k jog and it'd be jumping up to 190 195 so when that happened I'd be like you just need to walk here you don't need to have a heart attack you don't need to get through all this chemo and then have a heart attack um so there was times when I had to be a little bit careful and just bring it back to walking or on my bike um I'd literally run around the hospital. So I'd finish chemo and 
just put my, I had to have a needle, I had to give myself a needle every other day after chemo. So I put that in my backpack and then I'd literally go and run a block around the Maroondah hospital. It was about 5Ks around. Yeah. So I'd, if I, and, and if I, I'd either do one or two laps depending how I was feeling. The next day I'd sometimes be a little bit tired, um, but I'd still do something. Like I'd still... I'd have to do something. And for me, and I think also because I, as someone said, you're running on adrenaline this whole time and it's so true. You've just got this battle on your hand that, you know, I've got three little kids. I had to throw this with everything. And if that was going to increase my survival chance, then, you know, I had to do it. Like, and don't, look, there's some days when I laid on the couch and watched a movie, absolutely. But the majority of days, I would think nearly every day I did something and that might've just been a walk around the block or it was a, you know, a 16 K run or a 10 K run or it, you know, or it might've just been also weight sessions. Like I was trying to do two weight sessions a week as well. Um, so, and I'd meet various people, but of course we're in lockdown. So you could only meet like one other person. But um, so I think at some points, as I started to, into that 12 weeks, we started to come out a little bit so I could go and meet the girls, well, my Viking sisters, and um, we'd do some runs together because um, you could run with more than yeah. one person at that stage. Um, but, yeah, I was this bald-headed runner that was just – I used to wear a hat to start with, but, but I've never worn a hat when I run. Like, I don't I, – I feel like – I do every now and then when, you know, super cold. Um I used to find it quite like, I'm like, I don't care. I, don't I think I also wanted people to know that it's okay to be going through. It's okay to be like, don't. don't hold it. Yeah. I, and I used to have this motto that used to run through my head the whole time. It used to be um, cancer sucks, dying's worse. Yes. Keep moving. So it was, for me, that motto of, yeah, cancer sucks, but dying's worse. So I have to keep moving. I have to keep exercising. I have to keep eating healthy I have to keep going um so that was yeah the constant thing going through my head so how does exercise help with the um chemotherapy look there's a lot of studies out and I'm probably not qualified to say Mm. too much about that but um there's just thoughts that and this is from what I've read and I could be completely wrong but um can uh, exercise increases your um uh fighting actually what is what what is it your when you see a foreign body in your body uh white blood cells white blood cells and it yeah and and so they're saying that when you're doing exercise uh when you when when you exercise you increase your body's ability to fight off um you know diseases and things like that because it suddenly goes hang on what's going on there's something over there so that was from what from what i read that if you if you're exercising straight after cancer, the the blood cell, the, the chemo is going directly to the the tumor because the tumor doesn't know to stop or anything. So, you know, it because the body goes, hang on, there's it, it, it enables its defense system. So it recognizes, hang on, there's something weird here in the body yeah. that will take the blood, the, the chemo-rich blood, to what what's um the, the foreign body that's in in your body that was one of the studies that I read um and also because it actually helps your body you maintain muscle mass you maintain but bone density you all that it keeps your body strong enough to handle all the treatment yeah. 
So, because what, what can often happen, people can get ill, so they can't, they have to miss chemos or they can't, you know, have to go through a period where they need a break for two or three weeks. But they're saying with exercise, like you maintain your body, your muscle mass, your lean muscle mass, your, your bone density. Um, so it enables you to complete your treatment. So, and it's one of the things that it's what, there's all these different things about diet and about this and about that and everything. But one of the things that oncologists and GPs and doctors are all agreeing on is exercise improves your survival chance. So I'm not saying everyone goes out and runs 16 kilometers home, of course, because that's just crazy, but like, you know, just going as simple as walk. Um, and you know, and yes, it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't feel great, but you're not going to feel great anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if you're sitting around you're not going to feel great and if anything and I tried to do it directly after chemo because I'm, I kind of figured that's when my blood was at the strongest and that's when I just wanted to get that blood to the tumors yeah but this is all my hypothesis in that too because I used to even get home and put a heat pack on the tumor like I'd yeah. sleep with a heat pack on it to try and get blood right yeah do it now I I don't know if that's made any difference whatsoever, but to me, I'm thinking, well, if I want to get blood to an injury or to something, I put a heat pack on it to try and get, you know, nutrients to that, to that spot. So I'm thinking, well, surely this is, if I've got a heat pack here, that's bringing chemo rich blood to that particular spot. So I'd sleep with a heat pack on the tumor and I'd sleep, you know, just, yeah, all sorts of different weird things within reason. Like I've had so many people tell me like, you know, some really strange stuff that will help my survival chances. Um, so I tried to stick with what most yeah. people. And, and look, I mean, there's always going to crop up these these strange stories. People want to find things. So, but um, <clears throat> I'm also sure, that, and that actually does make sense, though. So you know, who knows? 100% though. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. To me, it was just a little thing. As I, I needed to take control of yes. bits and pieces of this treatment. Because you get thrown onto this wheel of oncologists and surgeons and all this stuff that, you know, three days before had never come into my mind. My biggest problem at the time was COVID. And I'm like, you know what? COVID's on a back shelf now. Like, mm-hmm. I've got to try and live kind of thing. So COVID was just out the window. But, it, yes, yeah, so you get thrown onto this, like, treadmill of appointments and you don't understand what they're saying to you like and, and the first thing is I walked into the surgeon and I'm like right take them off take them both off <laughs> like do it now take the arms if you need to like I don't maybe leave the legs at this stage <laughs> but I was like you know and he said look everyone says that he says but it's not necessarily the right treatment for okay. for everybody so what they've found now particularly with my cancer um, is having neojunctive treatment first before surgery so I didn't have the mastectomy until after I'd done all the chemo um, and then I'd recovered and then I had the single mastectomy Um, and the reason for that is they have a really good indication of how I responded to chemo so the ideal is to have go through all the chemo and have um, nil evidence of disease at the end so a complete um, response to chemo Uh, so they started me straight away on on the chemos and the targeted therapies and I got to the end of the set end of the first four week the four rounds and the tumor was still there and it wasn't really doing anything so we went into a little bit of a panic then of like well 
do we to talk about surgery now? Because if it's not shrinking it, could it be spreading? Could it be doing? But my oncologist sort of said, look, no, I want to stick it. Let's do three rounds of the next, the next regime and see where we're at. Once I started that regime, bang, I could feel this thing just disappearing. And I'm like, oh, and I remember just one day I touched, I'm like, oh my gosh, it just feels so different. So the theory is that we get to the end of the 16 chemos, then then we did the surgery and they analyze everything um, and come back. And if there's any cancer cells left, they know that. So they know that there could potentially be cancer cells elsewhere in my body. So they will keep me on chemo or they will change the theory, change the, the, the chemo that I'm doing or they'll do something. If there's no cancer cells left in there, well, they pretty much know that if it's managed to melt a five centimeter tumor, because that's how big mine was, it was huge, um, that any microscopic cells have pretty much been cleaned up. So there's no need to continue any any chemo. But if they had have gone in and done the lumpectomy and taken all the nodes and stuff first, they wouldn't know that. So they tend to be swinging over a bit to this method of treatment for some, but some people, yeah, within like two weeks, they can be like bang you've had double mastectomy like you haven't even had time to process it um and that's still standard treatment for some some cancers um but for mine what they're finding is then they know whether to keep me on uh, ongoing treatments um so the nil evidence disease is what you want at the end of the thing and i got to the end of the 16 weeks i'm like i can't feel anything here but you know you don't know at a microscopic level and I went to the oncologist and he's like, oh, I can still feel something there. And I'm like, mm. went to the surgeon and the surgeon's like, whoa, that's fantastic. And I saw the same surgeon the whole way through. Okay. Um, and he's like, you know, I could actually see that lump before you even laid down. He goes, it's nothing there. He goes, I will be very surprised if there's any cancer left. So then I went for an MRI and it came back. Apparently there looked like there was no evidence of disease left in the boom and just that they were a little bit concerned about one of the lymph nodes. Um, it hadn't quite got as small as they would have liked, but the surgeon was like, well, I actually think that's just dead tissue, but, you know, we will know when we do the mastectomy. So they did the mastectomy and there's a whole other story in amongst all that as well. They did the mastectomy and I got the results a week later and it was nil evidence of disease. So everything had gone, the lymph nodes were all clear. So it was a full auxiliary clearance. All the lymph nodes were clear, which means, I mean, my, I still have a risk of reoccurrence like anyone, and I'm probably slightly higher in that because I was a stage three, grade three that had gone to lymph nodes. But by having the complete response to chemo, it's brought that that risk factor down just a little bit, So, so which I'm happy enough. Yeah with so that's awesome news that's brilliant yeah Yeah. so that was a really good day that was so do you have to have continual checkups yeah I was just actually speaking to the girl I was running with this morning about this um and I want to argue it and I want and I think I have a I had a mammogram um uh when was it about two months ago and, and an ultrasound and of course they found another lump didn't they which then sent me down the tunnel of doom yeah. um but when they did the biopsies and everything that was all clear now with my particular cancer because I'm not hormone driven um 
hormone-driven breast cancers tend to reoccur in the breasts or the ovaries or like the, you know, the girly parts, so to speak, and in other areas. The hormone, from what I understand, and once again, I'm not 100% up, I'm not an oncologist, but from what I've read, my cancer statistically actually has any chance of coming back anywhere. Like it's it's not going to be targeted just into the breast. So I'm arguing that I should, rather than a mammogram, which I'll pay for myself or do myself, I'd like to have a full PET scan or like once every 12 months, but they don't offer that treatment because my scans were all clear at the start. There was no cancer anywhere else in my body. They're like, well, we're scanning areas that weren't, we weren't worried about them, but I'm like, yeah, but I'd rather know. And, you know, it's one of yeah, and it's one of the things with stress and anxiety that um, is also a major factor when it comes to to cancer as well and recurrence. Mm. So I'm thinking, you know, a lot of women would like to have finished treatment, have a full PET scan, and then every year. But I think they're worried about radiation and the exposure to radiation and things. But I'm and like, I get that, but I think just for the peace of mind, and like you say, the stress and anxiety is detrimental oh. in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. And especially in the start, mm. because you, you learn to deal with it as, as things go by. Like, you know, I would turn everything into metastasis. Like it's a bone metastasis. It's a brain metastasis. It's a eyeball metastasis. Oh, it's a fingernail metastasis. Like everything. Like, I mean, you could get a sore shoulder and I think it had gone to you kind of thing. Like everything was. I'm better with that now. Like I did have a sore shoulder for a while and I'm like, oh, what is this? But I'm like, no, it's a boxing injury. You weren't holding the pads right at the gym 12 months ago and you know that and you've aggravated it doing push-ups. So I've got to also check myself back. But saying that, like I had um, where I've had all the scars from the um, mastectomy and the drainage pipes, it was really sore around there and onto the ribs. Um, So I went in recently and had a bone, uh, an X-ray on my ribs, rib cage and my lungs um, just to make sure that yeah. you know that that was because when I first got diagnosed I I was convinced I had lung cancer because I'd had shortness of breath the whole time and uh-huh. coughing but I get a bit of sports induced asthma and yeah. of course that gets heightened with stress and anxiety yes. and at that time COVID was around we were just starting to hit into that we were just starting homeschooling we weren't worried we didn't know what was going to happen with our jobs and our house and all that sort of thing. So there was stress and anxiety around yeah. around that. So it's amazing once you get that scan, you go, oh, I can breathe again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. What a. I mean, we've all we've all struggled with COVID, but gee, you've had a really um tough time of it. That's really yeah. Hard. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't the best, but you know what? Once again, you had to look on the plus side of things as well. Of I was lucky enough that mum or dad could come up. For one night so I'd have chemo on the Tuesday so my husband I'd homeschool Monday yeah. um often I had scans or things to go to on the Monday as well but my husband could take Tuesday off so he would homeschool on the Tuesday and mum or dad because you could have one visitor for caring would come up on the Tuesday night and help me on the on the Wednesday because I was just foggy headed and a bit like a bit hyper and aggro like you know oh, because of the steroids and things like that so so and that that was nice but yeah it certainly eliminate you I couldn't do any like girly catch-ups or you know go and you know a day spa or anything like that because all that was closed so it was mm. that 
but then on the plus side, there was no germs around. Yeah, true. <laughs> so I, I didn't get exposed to any germs, which yeah. helped me complete all of treatment. So, yeah. you know, the oh. only thing I had was a gum infection, yeah. which nearly... Um, but as soon as I felt it getting sore and I got a fever, I went to my GP and he straight away, yep, let's get you an antibiotic straight up. So, yeah. um, so I was really lucky because there was, we weren't out and about with people and, you know, yeah. touching dirty surfaces and I wasn't exposed to gastros or flus or anything like yeah. that. So, which and enabled me to treat. Um, picking up those things as well. Exactly. So yeah. there was the plus side of being in yeah. lockdown in that way. So, yeah. yeah. But I just think the, um, the moral support from friends would have been nice to have. Oh, look, saying that, I had so much support. It was unbelievable. Um, I had a dear friend, Bree, who um, she organised a food, a food, like, roster. Oh, that's lovely. Six months, literally six months every night, yeah. someone delivered us, delivered us a vegan meal and a kid's meal, like oh, a normal wow. normal into the red food portal of love which was the esky that sat in the driveway and someone threw out the hills like this roster wow, of people it was amazing we'd kept going oh, look what we've got tonight kind of thing and then there'd be little trinkets of like little notes in there and little chocolates and little candles or crystals and you know it, even though we couldn't be together I felt I've never felt so much love like you know I got surrounded and wrapped in love by this community and you know and I'd still meet up with you know one person a day to exercise or just on my own to exercise um and I wasn't always that strict on the one hour limit yeah, I think you I think you earned the right yeah yeah exactly there was some days because I, and I was doing because I'd registered to do I wanted to do the 100k in bright Oh, yes. um, but of course that got cancelled for yeah. and Metro Melbourne, I think you could do it virtually in regional, but Metro Melbourne yeah. did a hundred Ks over 10 days. That's so right. you could do it. So, so I wanted to do that. So I was doing that in amongst the thick, the, in, in amongst treatment and stuff, but I couldn't always run 10 Ks in under an hour. So there's no. sometimes I'd go to like 70 or something like that. And I'd be like, Oh, that's all right. That's all right. So, <laughs> but things like that were really good to keep but I, I felt so much love and support and but yeah it would have been nice to be able to have girly nights we'll be able to go down to my mum and dad's and just you know stay down there for a few days and yeah. but we yeah. just couldn't do any of that at that stage and when we still can't but you know it was yeah. that did make things a little bit harder but as I said saying that I wasn't exposed to any illnesses. I I didn't I didn't have the fear of missing out. So people weren't going it's to parties and I could stay home. So <laughs> definitely no FOMO no there. Because no one was doing anything. Home, so I was fine. <laughs> yeah. And it was really because everything coincided as I started to get through the through treatment. Melbourne started to open up again ah. and it just like bang, bang, bang. I'm like, thanks, Dan. That was great. <laughs> I'm more healthy again now. We Five can open the state. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for women who might be due for, you know, uh, um, you know, a scan or who think they might have a little lump but they think, oh, no, that's just nothing? What's your advice? go just go you better go into a scan and being told it's nothing yeah um I should have gone and wish I had have gone 12 months earlier yeah um but um but I I didn't and I if I had of I probably 
would have only been maybe stage two um, or even caught it at stage one. Who knows? My my cancer spreads really quickly, so it it may not have either. Like, but I can't sit here and dwell on what if, wish I had it sort of thing. I mean, this is my story now and I I need to deal with it. But it, yeah, you've just got to go and check that, get it checked out. Like I'm, you know, I'm reading how New South Wales are thinking of closing down breast screening and stuff Mm -hmm. because they don't, and I, that infuriates me the, and I'm not not you know I know COVID's scary and I know if some people can get very very sick with it but majority of people are going to be okay and yeah. but if a woman leaves her breast even for three months if I had to wait three months yeah I could have been stage four that's right exactly so it's a completely different kettle of fit and I think until you just have this big cancer slammed in your face yeah um yeah it's it's completely different it, it, you go go any anything and not even just breast like skin like anything anything you're not sure of and look and I'm fairly sure that if your doctors are concerned they're going to push it through like I called up about the um my ribs to get the x-ray and the, at the anglers and they said oh look we're not you know when only seeing emergencies at the moment and I said look I'm a cancer breast cancer patient and this is a possible Mets that they want to have a look at. And straight away, that come in yeah. this afternoon. Sure. So if there's something where they will, don't push for it. Like, you know, yes. say, look, I want to get this done. So, and, and that's the thing. And that's what they're worried about is that once things start opening up, is there's going to be an influx more of, of people with other issues um, yeah. as opposed to COVID. So Absolutely. Yeah. So but no, I do that. And, it's, and don't be scared to, like, yeah to, I think well with my I should have gone back at 12 months um but I didn't but so you know question doctors question things yeah. like just ask the questions if you're not if you're not sure about something get it looked at because it is it is hard um and it is if this had been caught earlier you know yeah. I, you know but at this stage and look I, I stand a great chance of it never coming back but 20 to 30 percent of breast cancers do come back um so you know that's and mine is hot like is in that category but it's also because of my response to chemo it actually brings that statistically right down so you know I've got to wait and they're the facts that need to keep coming in my in my head like and just keep things going um you need to you know be careful and stay on top of it and and that's obviously super important COVID or not Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The thought that they're stopping scans because yeah, that's horrible. you just can't. You just can't. It's you know, it it, yeah. it, it could have been, it would have meant the difference between life and death for me yes. pretty much. Basically. So and you know, they're so careful in the hospitals and they're so and I know it has broken out in some hospitals, absolutely, absolutely, but yeah. you can't stop screening yeah. for great. And so if there's any women out there listening who've been umming and ahhing, go and get it done, get the scan. And, you know, once again, what we're talking about is peace of mind. Better to know that it's nothing than to wonder and, and then maybe regret it later. And whatever age as well. Like there was yeah. a story of this girl, she was only 29 or 30. Yeah. And I, and I like, I, I'd seen her in one of the groups and I'm on, I'm like, I like this girl. Like she's doing weights and she's doing all this. And I thought that, you know, that's, and um, she'd been breastfeeding and 
they kept putting it down to mastitis, mastitis, mastitis. Again, my dog. Um, mastitis, mastitis. And then they thought she had an infection from a nipple ring and stuff. They refused to, because she was so young, refused to do anything. And then when they actually found it, it was stage three, grade three, it had spread to the skin and the, and the, like, and I think she was in stage four, I think, by the time they found it. And she just had a baby, like, and oh, just think. Terrible. So anything, like, just to be, you need to check it out, like, and not, yeah. not delay, because it's, you know, I, I was one of the lucky ones, so to speak, that it, you know, that my chemo was okay and I got through all that and I had a great response. And, yeah. you know, even through having surgery and, you know, parts of you removed and all this yeah. kind of thing, which is all a bit confronting. Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, if they can avoid all that they, with early detection, then that's what they want to do. So, yeah, if you've got any, about anything, anything, just get in and get tested, get tests done or... And even like me, like I'm going to push to get a scan done. Like I've got a friend who's an osteo who has said to me, look, if they don't do it, mate, like I'll, I can write you the referral. So, so if I can't settle yeah. my mind, yeah. I'll go through him. So, yeah, and, and that's good because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the peace of mind aspect of it. Yeah. Well, they talk about four pillars of health with um, cancer and it's um, – mental health is one of the main ones. So they'd actually say there's a lot of evidence now to say in things like meditation and yoga and relaxation yeah. is one of the ones, almost as, probably as much as what exercise is as well when it comes to preventing reoccurrence. Um, so me mental health, your physical health of exercise and stuff, and then food, like what you're putting into your system. Yeah. And the other one is actually social networks and friendships and support and things like that. So, and toxins, like you don't want to put toxins into your body. So that there's some really good pillars of health that, you know, well, not even just for cancer, but for everybody yeah, that everybody. Yeah. To, to look at. So, because my goal now is for it never to come back. So I've just got to keep doing what I'm doing and hoping that it doesn't, yeah. doesn't well, come back. Definitely, as, as we know from our own experiences with running, I mean, it helps so much with your mental health as well as your physical health. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think also with the mindset too, because you know what it's like, like you, you know, you've pushed your body through some extreme circumstances. And, you know, I remember doing some of the Oxfams and, you know, I was already throwing up at the like 30K mark. I'm thinking, oh, oh no. long 100Ks. <laughs> <laughs> because I had wrong food choices or whatever and then but you push through it like yes and I think mentally that that sort of thing helped a lot when it came to getting yeah. through the treatment and and also your pain threshold tends to be a little bit higher too yeah. so and you're used to being uncomfortable like you're used to having aches and pains and getting up groaning and moaning and carrying on because you know you've done a 40k <laughs> run the day before kind of thing so <laughs> you're kind of used to that so yeah you know, that's, that's a good point yeah yeah so you kind of go yeah I can push through this like whereas I guess people who have never exercised much before you know aches and pains and stuff are quite new yeah new to them so I think that's yeah. what puts people off but I'm like just keep moving and then you know even you know even after surgery like I waited too long to get um massage and stuff done for surgery so I've got what they call cording and it's like all the lymphatic oh. system jams up and it's like 
guitar strings and mm-hmm. things. And so I'm working on that now with a wonderful physio who I just actually sit there for like an hour and pick her brain about questions and things because she's so good to talk to. <laughs> so like, so what about this? And what about that? And what have you heard of this sort of thing? So, but yeah, yeah it's as much as I hated, I, I wish I'd never had cancer. I've met some amazing, amazing people through it. I've learned a lot. I've leave with George, like I did a part of the run with him um, oh, yeah. uh, because he was raising money for breast cancer. So I'm, we all dressed up in our pink tutus and ran um, about, oh, only about three or four Ks. I, probably, I wanted to go further, but I, I had to be back for probably homeschooling. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, yeah, I would have loved done the whole thing with him. But, it, you know, it was just, and the, the support was amazing. And it's, yeah. as horrible as it was there was a lot of good that came out of it and yeah it just makes me well I said makes me not sweat the small things but I do sweat the small things sometimes but I also think that's okay because if you're sweating the small things you haven't got a big thing like yeah so I'm like you know I'm freaking out the other day about something I'm like oh you shouldn't be sweating the small but I'm thinking if I've got room in my life to sweat the small things and that might be being late for an appointment or doing whatever, it means I haven't got a big thing going on because when you've got a big thing going you on. You don't have the mental space to think about the little things. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So so as a family, we were really lucky last year with the support we got from our community and from mum and dad, of course, and my brothers and yeah. um, extended family and, it, it like, you know, mother-in-law and sister-in-laws and everything. So, yeah. Although we couldn't do it face to face a lot of the times, we could still make it work with Zooms and, you know, and sometimes in carers. And my brother lived right near the hospital. So sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we I could drop in like and just, you know, stand at his door and have a chat kind of thing. Or so, yeah, it, it was a challenging year, but yeah, it didn't help at one point. We, uh, I just, I ended up back in hospital after my mastectomy because. <laughs> Strangely, my cat attacked my drainage drainage pipes. Oh my god! And I got, and I got an infection. Oh wow! <laughs> so I hit my cat. So I ended up back in hospital, and that's I'd been in for two nights on like all these like anti like antibiotics and stuff like that, and that's when I actually found out I didn't that, they, uh, that the cancer had gone. Yeah. And I got home on the Tuesday. And didn't feel particularly great, but on the Wednesday I said to the kids, "Right, let's go." Well, um we'll go out for ice cream to celebrate like mum hasn't got cancer anymore mm-hmm. so my husband says to me all right well I'll ride my bike down and I'll meet you guys down there I'll go buy a one tree hill and come down I get a phone call from him he's come off his bike at 45 kilometers an hour smashed oh his face and his nose and his knee he's oh taken to the Alfred for six nights three surgeries wow. six nights six nights three surgeries oh later I'm still oh. running with drainage pipes and like a, a dog that had diarrhea and oh my gosh. Well, you had it all going on. Yeah, yeah. We just thought we'd just cap off the year <laughs> like that. So, bad enough. You thought, no, let's make it a little tougher. Let's make it a little tougher because, you know, you just wanted the attention on him for a change. Yes. Like, he's yeah, just like. <laughs> so, but he's recovered, but he, yeah, it was nasty. He, yeah, he, luckily. And he had- also, um, you know, life is precious and, um, you know, and it can be that quick, you know, a diagnosis, a fall on a bike, you know. So we really need to um, savour the moments. Life is so precious. And, I, and you know, and I, I always said that, like, you know, I, you know I've travelled a lot throughout my 
world and I saw, you know, people in extreme poverty and stuff and I realised but it's not until your life flashes before your eyes like that that you, I remember just laying here when I was waiting for those tests, those scans to come through and I just remember thinking, what if I'm not here at the end of the year? What if this is lung cancer? Who will be at my grade six's graduation? Who will be there to see him graduate? And that was my breaking point. For some reason, that was the thing that really broke my heart that I yes. wouldn't be there for his graduation. Um, as it, as my girlfriend said, well, none of us are going to be there anyway. COVID's here. We can't go. So as it turns out, I got to the graduation and I plan on going to his university one too and his wedding and all everything. So, awesome. but it was little things like that because you just go, and being in this world with all these women that are sick, you know, I never, and I might use the word sick because I was never sick when I, when I had cancer, I, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer. I, I was never sick. Um, Cause I think the minute you start saying sick, you start being sick. So I was like, yeah, I've been diagnosed with cancer, yeah. but yeah. I'm not, I'm not sick. I'm, you know, I'm okay. Um, but you get thrown into this world of mums just trying to live and, yes that's what it comes down to and that's what it came down to for me just I I have to see those kids grow up and and you meet mums that have fought just as hard as me and done just as you know tried at but you know I I lost two friends during like from breast cancer and it's like you know you can fight as much as you want but if this decides to come back or decides to spread up really got no control over that I mean I have got control over over what I choose to put into my body and what I choose to do with my body and how I treat my body but you know it's also if it decides to yeah come back at will so you've got it but then I've also got to not live in that fear because no one's told me that today no one has said to me today so it's more about living in the present and enjoying the moment yep I mean I've got a bit of a headache today like I'm thinking oh I've got a headache but I'm thinking okay yeah you did a run this morning I didn't have my coffee yeah I you know I I know normally I don't I'm like I have to have a little shot before I get going but I was trying to keep the house really quiet because it was like quarter to six in the morning I'm like I don't want to wake anyone up but you know and life is incredibly precious and until you're kind of faced with wow am I going to be here in six months time? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's scary and scary for the kids. Really, really scary, which was another reason why I had to keep being me. I had to keep working when, when I could over zoom and stuff, I had to keep running. I had to keep doing stuff because if I laid on the couch in a heap, they, they'd worry. Whereas, yeah. you know, where's mama? She's gone out for a run. Like, you know, yeah, it was normal for them. So I had to maintain that for them so that they didn't see I mean there was days of course where I laid in a mess in the bottom of the shower in tears just you know crying or I'd go down to my girlfriend's house um her husband's a well he's, he's a mate of mine he's a chiropractor and he helped me a lot with alignments and stuff because that helped with my breathing and relaxation and I'd lose it on their couch for like you know half an hour blubbery mess right into it and then you know come home big girl pants on get back on with life kind of thing um but the kids did see me vulnerable absolutely there was nights when I'd have to sleep with all three of them in my bed because I'm like I I need you here with me and they just stroke my or I had oh at the start I had hair (laughs) then then no hair not not used to this (laughs) um, 
you, I think you need to do like a hundred miler, solo hundred miler, because I think you've shown you've got the tenacity and the, and the strength to, to get. Yeah, well, the, I guess that's 16, it's 160, and so it could be yeah. broken down to like, you know, 10 yeah. miles for every chemo. So. There, there you go. <laughs> it's meant to be. It's meant Although to I'm, be. I'm doing 1600 meter reps on Thursday, so I'll stick with them to start yeah. with us, and then I'll. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd rather do a 100 miler. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's it's a really um important story, and and we really need to get the word out to people that they need to to follow up on on medical issues and also just get themselves checked out. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed it, and yeah, getting the word out there to get checked, and also if you're going through the journey, like just to keep moving, keep researching keep looking at things because um, there's, you know, there's loads of information about, you know, the one percenters that might help. And for me, that was, well, they're more than one percenters in my perspective, but food and diet and exercise and yeah. lifestyle and, and just questioning people. Don't, don't wait, don't wait, don't, yeah. don't be at stage but three. Generally, you know your own body best. And if you've got an inkling, there might be something you've got to, you've got to go. Absolutely. And even me with um, like now, like being a little bit hypersensitive to things like yeah yeah you, you, like like these ribs like I guess him I kind of knew that it was okay and I had my thi thyroid was um my thyroid was swollen which of course Dr Google I've got thyroid cancer <laughs> turns out I don't um so but it's just things like I am hypersensitive to things but it's also learning to work out what's normal and what's normal and I'm navigating a whole new world like right, yeah my body I knew my body pretty well before all of this um so it's a whole new world of like what's what's my new normal now um and questioning things if I'm not happy with the answers and you know I'm even going in there with trials that people that the oncologists here haven't heard about I'm like what's this drug tell me about it what is it what does it do and they're like oh hang on we don't know yet what is this and then you know and some of them they're like don't be ridiculous that was like you know they had no not great out I'm like okay but you know it's questioning it's that staying informed and, and, and staying open. <clears throat> exactly. Because the oncologist would say to me, stop Googling, stop Googling. I'm like, nah. I said, with knowledge comes power and comes choice and comes, you know, acceptance and, you know, that, you know, I, I couldn't be on a lot of the forums and stuff because there was too many triggers and too, until I found this um, breast cancer and uh, breast cancer and exercise support group, I think it was, or breast, breast cancer and fitness. Yeah. and the reason I ran started running properly again is that I went onto this forum and there was a girl on there with, that was up to the same stage chemo treatment with me and she'd run a half marathon and oh, I'm nice. like, yeah. like what there's someone that. running more than me out there yeah. <laughs> so, oh that's awesome yeah. so I'm like these are my kind of people so and I found that a really good group to be part of because it was actually started by an Australian girl here and okay. I found that really good to be part of because you know they're lifting weights they're riding to chemo they're swimming they're doing you know things like that and I found that a lot more mentally like it could have a better place for you than, than yeah yeah yeah. Than, yeah yeah well thank you so much we yeah no worries hun and um and I can't wait to see you out on the trails at some point yeah yeah I think last time I saw you you were running with Nikki down near the library there Oh, yes, that's right. Ages ago. Yeah, that's that right. I remember. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. So, yeah, so maybe, yeah, bump into the trails somewhere along there. 
No doubt we will. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. See you. I hope you enjoyed this really important chat. Kelly has such a bright, positive personality, doesn't she? And But the thing is, it really is so important that if, as a female, you get yourself checked out, if you have any worry at all. If you're a male, the same goes for your health, to be perfectly honest, and also for the health of the women in your life. We can all learn from this important message of not waiting too long to get things checked out. If you enjoyed this episode, which I really hope you did, I would love it if you could share it with a friend, either on social media or just directly sending them the link. However, if you do share it on socials, please tag me so that I know. Have a great week of running and training and have fun out there on the roads and trails.